Hello everyone and welcome to episode number three of It's a Wrap, Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Movie Review. Hello, I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Wayne Bolt. We're here to offer our movie thoughts and some of the latest news. If you've listened to the previous two podcasts, then thanks very much. Uh, if this is your first one, then we hope you like it. So, moving on straight away into a movie review this time. Uh, Moon, um, a film by Duncan Jones. Um, the film is set in the near future, where Sam Bell, played by Sam Rockwell... Um, easy for him to remember the name. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lone astronaut district technician working on a moon base where he's looking after harvesters that are being used to harvest helium free, a substance that is able to provide 70% of the Earth's energy supply. Which is real. Is it really? Yeah, it's all real. It's oh, all right. like stuff they're trying to do. Brilliant. Cool. Oh, carry on. Uh, anyway, uh, Sam is kept company up on the moon by a robot uh, called Gertie that's voiced by Kevin Spacey. And they have a nice little. Um, I would say relationship, but that, that would sound wrong. Repartee going on. Um, Sam is out servicing one of the harvesters one day, so to speak. Way up uh, when he's involved in an accident, and it's in there where the story really picks up. Now we would probably normally discuss a bit more about the story, but we're going to be quite vague about it today because yeah. uh, I sort of knew from uh, listening to another. Um, uh, movie review kind of program. Who's uh, that? That was. Uh, Should we name and shame? Messrs. Commode and uh, really? Mayo, yeah. Did Mark Commode spoil it for yeah, you. Yeah, he did yeah, he did a spoiler, yeah. Um, and I sort of knew what was happening, and so for the first bit of the film. Um, Mystery was gone a bit. Yeah, yeah, and as much as I enjoyed it, I think I would have preferred to discover it on my own. So we're going to try and discuss it today without giving away too many spoilers. Yeah, especially because it's probably a film that you've either not heard of. Or you've heard of it and really want to see it, but haven't actually managed to find it yet because it's on very limited release, certainly here in the UK. Uh, it's kind of doing a little tour of the country and it finally got to where we are, so we managed to see it. Um, and hopefully, if you haven't seen it yet, it'll be coming your way at some point soon. Otherwise, keep an eye on DVD. Anyway, so yes, uh, first film from Duncan Jones, I believe? I believe so, yeah. He's, yeah. of course, the son of... David Bowie. Yes, as has to be mentioned in every review of Moon. <laughs> yep. So we've got that out of the yep. way, that's good. Uh, I think he's done commercials and that kind of thing, music videos maybe. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's that sort of thing. Yes, experienced, clearly, because he knows what he's doing. But yeah, first feature film. And yeah, it's a full-on sci-fi film, isn't it? Yeah, it's fairly old school. Yeah. yeah. Good, good sci-fi ideas with some good models um, very much yeah, like I was, Space 1999 well, but I was actually done quite well how much was CG and how much was miniatures because at times it felt like a real mixture of both and I really I had real trouble figuring out whether it was miniatures or models mm. or whatever but it looked really good mm. and you um, could be considered some sort of expert in the <laughs> world of uh, CGI yeah, yeah vague expert <laughs> um, so yeah the, the effects and the look of it was really curious because most films these days seem to be going for that perfect we're either the perfect CG kind of look, or if they go down the miniature route, um, it tends to be so heavily composited into other stuff that you kind of it gets kind of subsumed underneath everything else. Mm. But yeah, and this one it, it had a, a very physical well yeah it had a physicality to it that mm. you don't tend to see, especially in a low well presumably a very low budget film. It carried off all the kind of moon stuff with a plum. I thought yeah, it was um, it was good. I actually found the um, almost. Rawness is that really the way? Yeah, yeah. And almost yeah. the rawness of the special effects really uh, sort of added to the film because it certainly wasn't like your typical um, two hundred thousand aliens turning up to eat the spiders, which 
live on the moon in your brain in my brain yes yeah well it was more reminiscent of uh, proper moon landing footage really a lot mm-hmm. of the time the look of it and the lighting and the style yeah and even the sort of set design of vehicles was all stuff we're familiar with from real science mm. uh and yeah, and in terms of the look of it, it was great and a, a real departure from a lot of the sci-fi that we've had lately, which is always really over-designed and really over-elaborate, yeah. like Transformers robots that we might have mentioned last time. Yeah, which we weren't too keen on. No. And I think one of the reasons why uh, the, the film sort of works that way and looks that way is because uh, it's very obviously a homage to um, a, a few of the early 1970s mm. um, sci-fi films like, such as it was 2001 I oh, know that's a 1960s film um, and also Silent Running and a few other little uh-huh. and pieces like yeah. that is there much that, kind that of, old school feel kind of elements them? of Logan's Run as well in terms of some of the kind of what the film is essentially doing is taking a look at what it means to be alive and who you are and what is the self and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, but like a lot of those old classic films it manages to analyse that kind of stuff without coming across as really pretentious and annoying, uh, which is what all the best sci-fi does. It can take these really, really deep, important themes, and then rather than going at it in a really blatant kind of manner, it kind of hides it in amongst all these kind of sci-fi ideas and tropes and settings, which I think makes it more interesting because it allows you to make your own mind up about it. Well, and certainly one of the other benefits, I suppose, of it being quite a... um, uh, well, um, very raw sort of effects, very sort of more, more let's say realistic sort of. I don't really know if that's the right thing to use, but it had to concentrate more on on the plot and the, and the storytelling, the character, and yeah. uh, and in a modern day sci-fi film, that's very refreshing to see. Yeah, it's so rare, especially this year, because obviously there's been loads of sci-fi films, and some of them have worked in some character and have you know felt like they've got some decent actors in like mm. I think Watchmen and Star Trek both did that to a degree but by the nature of what they are they're always going to be That's about huge, spectacle huge. Yeah. they're so giant in their stories um, that no matter how well they're done you know, you, you, and also because the cast are so big mm. in them you know in both of those you've got these massive ensemble casts and you're trying to juggle between all the different characters yeah whereas in Moon there'd be no more than what, no more than 10 people in the cast if that if that, that um, all, all and that's all like the little supporting characters yeah. and people on the radio and that kind of thing yeah. um, and obviously it is mainly a Sam Rockwell acting showcase mm. <laughs> um, because it's not too much of a spoiler to say that he plays multiple characters we won't say how or why mm. um, but it's uh, it's a real tour de force of acting I think Yeah. Um, in that he manages to differentiate these characters even though they're in the same scenes at the same time and interacting with each other yeah. and there's some very very clever bits of filmmaking in there um, and yeah he really brings all the characters to life in a notable way they don't have to just rely on the fact that you know one of them maybe he's got a beard and the other one doesn't so that you can tell the difference because you don't need to because everything about his performance from the way he walks to the way he talks and behaves and little ticks and you, know, you can really see progression from one to the other yeah no it's, it's, uh, it's a really really good job by Sam Rockwell yeah and uh, Kevin Spacey as well was just yeah well, just had to be Kevin Spacey playing Gertie yeah and you sort of get a sense as to um, very much that's very much a, a homage to 2001 and, and how yeah, yeah um, definitely but I did even the partic- design of the robot yeah. his little eye and yeah. stuff yeah uh, I did particularly like the use of emoticons yeah, though, yeah. Uh, for, for Gertie to to not to be able to show um, how it was feeling yeah. so that's a nice little Gertie essentially is, is a large sort of box fridge like 
object, uh, but on the front it's got a little, post-its. yeah, a little LCD screen on the front where it changes its little smiley face to, de- you know, to denote what it's feeling, mm. uh, which is a nice little touch. Mm. I don't think I've ever seen emoticons used to such a, yeah. a um, to such, such a an emotional <laughs> result. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, doing doing what it says in the tin. Yeah, and he's curious actually having Kevin Spacey voicing Gertie, and also when you when you couple that with 2001 and Terminator and every other sci-fi film where the robot is almost always a villain mm. one way or the other um, throughout this you know the mixture I mean Kevin Spacey no matter what character he's playing you feel slightly threatened by him because he's Kevin Spacey mm. um, and that combined with the fact it's a robot really uh, throughout the film there's a certain tension whenever Gertie's in the room Yeah. Um, so it always keeps you guessing as to what's yeah. going to happen that is really, um, really good but um, all the way through. What's I think I found most satisfying about the film is that it sidesteps pretty much every cliche. It sets up a lot of things you're quite familiar with from other, whether it's TV shows like Star Trek or Babylon Five or big movies, and you kind of think, oh yeah, it's going to go down that route. Oh yeah, it's going to go down there. It's going to be like, you know, oh, the evil stuff's going to come out and they're going to have a big fights and all oh, that's going to go wrong or there's going to be some big chase at the end and oh, they're setting that up because there's going to be some really tense scene where the air's rushing mm. out and etc. And uh, it kind of sidesteps everything and goes down a very different route. Yeah, I mean, all the way through, um, it's just very good storytelling all the way through. And that's just something we sort of tend to go keep banging on about in our previous podcast as well, but the storytelling is very important to a movie. Even in like the huge spectacles, um, there needs to be at least a little bit of a, a, a story to try and tie it together. But uh, Moon, very much about the story, very much about the characterization and overall very good, good acting, yeah. good directing. Great stuff. Good um, effects. And I think quite a lot of time when you get stuff like Star Trek, they've gone about how the films sometimes feel like big episodes. And what was interesting about Moon is that the story itself is very much like an episode you get on a sci-fi series, except they do it in such a stylish, kind of reserved way that it could only really be told in a film that way. And yeah, great stuff. So if it comes anywhere near you, make sure you don't miss it because it's quite a unique film and we don't get stuff like this very often so we should support it yep it's should support it indeed so um, when it comes out on DVD I recommend you go buy it yes um, and just on the side to this I was reading at Duncan Jones um, is hoping to do a Moon Trilogy is he? yeah he is indeed hmm. um, I, I would say a bit more but I'll tell you afterwards it you know, yes. gives away a little bit about the film which we've been trying to do all the time interesting hmm. so that's hopefully something to look forward to and if the next two films actually materialise and I was good as this one and it's going to be a good little trilogy mm-hmm. so that's Moon yes go see it it's very good yeah definitely right moving on a bit of movie news uh, of course the main movie news uh, today which is the 20th currently when we're recording of this August yes of August 2009, 2009 is uh, the Avatar trailer which came out today but we'll get to that in just a moment because uh, that's kind of if that's all anyone's talking about today mm-hmm. um, but before we get to that we'll talk about some other movie news which has caught our eye um, carrying on in the um, fairly discreet sci-fi film uh, category, yeah. uh, District not, not Nine. Not obsessed with sci-fi. Right? No, 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 no. Yeah, it's District Nine. Yeah, mm. this is looking very good. It, yeah. From what I can tell, it's about aliens who are stuck in some sort of ghetto somewhere, uh, filmed in a sort of like a documentary kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, from. Um, it's got Peter Jackson's involvement in it as a producer somewhere, but that probably just means he's given some money towards it. Well, it's interesting actually because Neil Blomkamp, yep, um, who's the director, mm-hmm. uh, worked with Jackson previously on some concept work they did for a potential Halo movie based on the Xbox computer games. Yeah, uh, and I don't 
have any particular interest in the computer games, but these little short films they did were fantastic uh, and really, really cool. And had a similar kind of documentary style. All right. um, so I think a lot of the work they did on that then has now gone into District 9. Mm, cool. Well, Neil Blomkamp's got quite a background in animated features of one mm-hmm. sort and another. Um, as I can tell, this is his first live-action um, feature, film, feature yeah. film. But it's getting generally quite good reviews from um, various people on Twitter, um, <laughs> including Jonathan Ross and Nick Frost, who um, have both seen it in the States. Um, it's been very low-key over here, though. Um, which is yeah, a- well, I think it's a very a bit like Moon. Uh, it's a very small film. I mean, it's, it's bigger than Moon, obviously, because Moon's minuscule in comparison. Mm. But uh, District 9 has been made for about $30 million dollars which when you think that Transformers 2 was made for over 200 million dollars what a waste of money yeah um, is pretty remarkable really uh, and you do get these filmmakers that come along every so often like you had uh, Joss Whedon who did Serenity a few years back and he did that for about 40 million I think um, mm, it wasn't it wasn't huge no, was it? And, and Neil Blomkamp especially they seem to be able to eke out so much out of this tiny funds they get in comparison to other filmmakers um, and yet put it all up on the screen and don't waste time faffing about and, and you know because of this they also have to focus on story mm. again um, and get some kind of originality in there uh, and that seems to be what's going on with District 9 yeah so keep an eye out on that one uh, if it ever turns up yes. on our sunny shores in, unless you're in the US listening to this in which case you've probably already seen it and we're very jealous and if you have seen it and you're listening to us in the US why not send us an email on Simon at Wayne at SpiffingReview.com to let us know what you think of it yeah that's a good idea then we can review your review yeah uh, so yeah, uh, what else we got? Uh, moving away from sci-fi for just a brief moment before we go straight back into it. Um, the Expendables. You heard of that? Is that a superhero thing? It's not a superhero thing. No. This is an action movie. Oh right. Directed by Sylvester Stallone. Okay. Okay. So following on from his Rambo and Rocky comeback. Right. Okay. Uh, and let me is it a rom-com? I don't think so. I think it might be explosions and stuff, but. The cast, I'll just read out some of the cast here. I don't think this is everyone, but this is, you know. Bruce Willis is in it, isn't he? He's just been announced to be in it, All right. as has Schwarzenegger. Uh, <laughs> Stallone, obviously, is in it. Mickey Rourke's in it. Jason Statham's in it. Dolph Lundgren is in it. Jet Lee's in it. Uh, and Steve Austin and Randy Couture, who I believe are wrestlers of some sort. Uh, Eric Roberts, who's a bit shit, but, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he was quite good in Batman. So is it going to be like a back. Merchant Ivory anyway, kind of thing? Uh, possibly, yeah. Period right. piece. Mm. Um so yeah, he's managed to somehow assemble every 80s star that doesn't really work anymore. In fact, that's probably why he's been able to get them, because they don't work anymore. Jean-Claude Well, no, yeah, he's not in it mm. so far. Maybe he's saving him for the sequel. Mm. You know, <laughs> saving the really special ones. Getting ahead of himself. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm not really expecting it to be great in terms of, you know, a classic film as such. But mm-hmm. in terms of recapturing that 80s magic that no one except Paul Verhoeven seems to be able to do these days uh, I think it, it could be pretty crazy fun um, it would be worth seeing just to see all these people in one film to be honest yeah yeah. Um, it's not just going to be a big advert for their whatever it was their, their chain of cafe <laughs> Planet Hollywood Planet Hollywood yeah. is it? Uh, hopefully not oh, and I'm not sure any of them own it anymore because they didn't make any money off it no it's because they're actors yes. and not business people so yeah in terms of uh, big manly films with big men with big muscles in that's probably going to be the best one coming out next year although I can't really see the singers are all in the 80s I think their muscles may not be <laughs> so big or manly no, no. and stuff yeah maybe there'll be a, there'll be a lot of uh, but if that's your comedy sort of, I'm getting too old for this shit if that's your stuff. sort of thing mm. then, then look look forward to it exactly exactly mm. 
Uh, anything else? Yeah, I've got um, another one in my in my new feature of not another remake. Yeah. Um, Brewster's Millions mm-hmm. is now touted to remake that. Um, once again, I'm not sure why. The original film is funny, it's still fairly original, and it's still watchable, so why remake it? I've not seen it. Have you not? No, which one's that? Brewster's Millions, it's where um, Richard Pryor um, mm-hmm. plays a chap called Brewster. Has he got millions? Not at the start of the film, uh, um, but he. Um, it's, <laughs> I don't worry about spoilers in this one. Um, yeah, he's a, a baseball coach in like the minor leagues who stands to come into an inheritance of millions and millions of dollars, um, but on the condition that he's able to spend one million dollars a day for the next thirty days. And if he can't, he doesn't get the whole fortune. And then there's various bits and pieces around that in the end. It's where the um, uh, one one of the one of the parts of the film which is actually uh, quite good for today is the to get rid of some of his money he runs an election campaign uh, of none of the above where he goes Hmm. into an election um, to try and not get any of the above um, put in so yeah why remake it the message is still in there from way back in the 80s yeah what's weird about a lot of these remakes is why don't they just re-release the films because there'd be an audience for re-release stuff I'm pretty sure Mm. well Um, probably because if they released it, people wouldn't really go to the cinema to see it. They'd all get it on DVD. Maybe, maybe, yeah. That's the problem these days, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the remake thing is is a curious one. Mm-hmm. I think, in some cases, remakes can make sense, if particularly if maybe originally it was a great idea, but they didn't have the resources to actually produce it properly. Mm-hmm. Like, some, you can look at some of the kind of sci-fi B-movies from the, the 50s or whatever, uh, and a lot of those are quite ripe for remaking, like The Thing and you know stuff like that. Yeah. Where you can, you can nine from that space. Surely you can not make that one. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's, you can't repeat that. It's just uh, that's a special case. Mm. Um, but yeah, on, while we're on the remake train, um, yeah. there's apparently a new Battlestar Galactica movie on the way. Um, directed by Brian, Brian Singer, Singer of X Men: yes. Superman Returns and Usual Suspects fame. Yeah, because that's one I'd written down as well. So we obviously both come across that on the one. same thing. Yeah, yeah it's just a bit of a weird one that because I'm not quite sure who they're making the film for because fans of the original. There can't be that many mm, left. Because we will point out that this is not going to be related no. to the recent sci-fi channel. Completely unrelated to the recent sci-fi channel one, which is still actually airing. There's still a TV movie to come from that. They're doing a spin-off. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's just come out on DVD. Um, although it, the main series did finish last late last year. Was it this year? No, it was only this no, year. It was earlier this year, yeah. So very, very recent, though. It's not like uh, it was five, ten years ago or something. Um, and then, of course, you've got the original... Glenn Larson series from the early 70s. 80s. Was it like 70s? Yeah. Right. Um, oh, yeah, and then they did Galactica 1980. Yeah. Something like yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, which obviously has a cult fan base following, um, but well, this is going to be a remake of it, I think. So, yeah, who's the audience for? Is it for the original fans who, you know, you can't remake something that cheesy, and fans of the new stuff just, you know, have no interest. They'd rather see a movie based on the new thing. So, very strange. It's one of those films where you can't figure out what audience they're expecting to mm. get. Maybe it's sort of that particular niche market of people who are really wishing for an up-to-date version of Battlestar Galactica but not the new series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those disgruntled people that hated the series. Yeah, but. yeah. And knowing sci-fi geeks out there, there are probably some who will like it. Yes. Okay, and then finally moving on, I think, to um, Avatar. Yes. Uh, you're very excited about. Well, yeah, well yes, I am. Um a bit strange to review a trailer, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, Avatar's James Cameron's new film, first film he's made since Titanic, which was a good... That was quite a good... It was quite a good 11 years ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, 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 
quite quite well accepted by the audience, wasn't it? As well? Yeah, it did fairly well. Yeah, made his yeah. money back, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, and yeah, and obviously James Cameron made ridiculous amounts of money, won every single Oscar in the book, and then went off to go underwater for ten years. And I think he claimed he found a new Bible or something at one point. There's some bizarre press release a couple of years James back. James Cameron's Bible. Yeah, or, or like he found Jesus's Beard. brother or something. There's something bizarre about or it. Alan. Yeah, yeah, Alan exactly. Christ. Alan Christ. <laughs> um, but yeah, obviously that no one quite believed that story. No. Um, yeah, and now finally he's been working on Avatar for a couple of years um, under ridiculous amounts of secrecy, whereby people didn't really know what the story was, they didn't know what the look of it was, or you know any details at all. Mm-hmm. So what's it about? Oh, I saw the trailer today, um, and as I can tell, it looks like elves versus helicopters. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that World of Warcraft movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it looks a bit like that, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It's kind of World of Warcraft meets Starcraft mm. in a movie, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because I love the Blizzard cutscene stuff that they do. Um, but I was quite surprised that it, it felt so similar in style to that. Yeah. So um, maybe this is one of these things where you quite often get it with films, don't you? There's a, you get like a, a patch of films all coming out about the same sort of thing, mm. all at the same sort of time, all in the same sort of style. Yes, quite possibly. Because it does very much look like. Um, one very long computer game cut sequence, yeah. um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because no, some well, computer game stuff is it's actually awesome. really good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of reaction to people going, oh, it looks like a computer game, oh, it looks so badly CG, and this kind of stuff. And it does look CG, but mm. that's because it is. Mm. <laughs> um, and they're not trying to make any pretense to the fact that it's live action, are they? No, it's, I mean, it's, it's got live action elements, you know, it's got humans in it as well, oh, and stuff elements. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, by the virtue of what it is, which is presumably this entirely fictional sci-fi stroke fantasy world full of alien creatures, mm-hmm. uh, it's not going to look natural and real, and it's not going to have Moon's style of gritty, down-to-earth sci-fi. Down-to-earth is probably not the right phrase to use for Moon. <laughs> not for the Moon. No. Um, Up in the sky. Yes. Um, but so, so with, with that in mind, I think it looks uh, amazing, really. The actual style and feel and some of the stuff the shots they've got in there look, look quite breathtaking um, but yeah still not entirely sure what to expect from me I mean story wise uh, it's apparently you've got Sam Worthington who was in Terminator Sal- Salad, Nation Salad Nation earlier this year Salivation um, yeah he's Stagnation yeah so many options mm. uh, he's in Avatar uh, in a wheelchair and basically his marines are being put inside the Navi I think who are the blue creatures the Navi Oh, or Navi, okay. or something. Okay. They're the blue creatures. They're, the Marines are being projected into these kind of empty bodies, um, which they can then run around on the planet and kind of infiltrate. I'm not quite sure why they're infiltrating or what the what why the, what the need is, but it looks like there's quite a bit of war going on. So uh-huh. something to do with that, presumably. Um, but yeah, it looks uh, fascinating, I suppose. There's still not enough details out to really no. get your teeth into much. No. So based on a, a trailer. I want to know more. I want to know more. Which I guess uh, the, the teaser probably did its job. So, Simon, is there a release date for it? Or uh, even December, apparently. What, this year? Yeah. yeah Blimey. It is this year. Um, I think regardless of the story or the overall quality of the film, I think it's fascinating from a production point of view because it's been made in a kind of virtual sense in that all the actors' performances were captured first and then once they had that, they then created the 3D scene but without any camera moves. So they could then play the scene from start to finish, mm-hmm. having perfected the acting, and then Cameron went through with a virtual camera, as in he was in a warehouse, an empty warehouse, with this pretend camera device, which he could look through the viewfinder, 
and film it as if it was real. Um, and you know, if you could kind of run along and film it, and then they could rewind the scene, you like, I'll play that again, I'll get it from a different angle. And I think that's all quite fascinating stuff. Um, whether it will result in a good film or not will, remains to be seen, because obviously Phantom Menace revolutionised filmmaking technique, but because of that, well, partially because of that, it you know stretched itself as a film and didn't quite pull it off because it was technically so challenging. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Phantom Menace is very underrated. Oh, I agree. I agree. I, I you know I think it's un, un I think it's harshly treated mm. by especially by fans. I, I mean, you got to take it in in context for, for what it is, which is the beginning of the story, and it's got to start somewhere. Mm. And all right, it had a couple Touched of things. Nerve here, I think it, it had a couple of things which shouldn't have been in, and like midi chlorines just wasn't needed. But you get rid of that then it's actually all right, and mm-hmm. it works really well. And Liam Neeson is by far yes, the best user of a lightsaber in all of the Star Wars. That is very true. Um, but the, the, the thing with it is, I think because the film wasn't received that well by audiences, uh, its technical achievements were completely overlooked by a lot of people. Now, I don't, I don't think any of the Star Wars prequels won visual effects Oscars, which is absurd. Mm-hmm. It's completely well, stupid. Well, they're, they're amazing look about them, aren't they? Yeah, um, and the, the way they did a lot of stuff. I mean, when Phantom Menace came out in 1999, it was like 10 years ahead of anyone mm-hmm. else. Uh, Matrix won all the awards that year because they did some really innovative stuff that looked great. But in terms of what they were actually doing, ILM was just way ahead of the curve. And most of the films, like big sci-fi special effects films, wouldn't have been possible this decade if it wasn't for Phantom Menace but, starting but, it the last decade. Bizarre, you talk about Matrix, though. But I think when you look at the Matrix stuff now, it's become a parody of itself with the whole... Yeah, yeah, uh, with, with its whole filming style. And it's, it's just really, really bizarre to me. It's just been on telly recently over here in England um, uh, on the uh, past few weeks. And you watch it, and all right, when you saw it first of all, you might have been blown away by the effects, but you watch it now, and you sort of think, well, it's just a bit... Mm. It's become so sort of commonplace that it, say, it just seems like it's parodying itself even though it's what really... Bought that to the Western audiences. Yeah, it, it felt attention. like a sort of one-trick pony. I think so. When mm. you first saw the trick, you were like, "Wow, it's amazing!" Mm. But it's almost like you then had been shown by the magician what the trick was, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's kind of clever, but not mm. that interesting anymore." Okay, um, so so yes. After that brief little um, slight tangent, yeah, tangent off there. Um, I think that's it for this week. It is, yes. Just the so, one film. Yeah, Moon, go see it. It's brilliant. Yeah. And Avatar, we'll uh, we're excited about it, and we'll let you know what we think of it in December. Mm, when when it's out. Yes, indeed. So yeah, we'll be back hopefully in a couple of weeks. Although I'm moving house, so it could be tricky, but we'll we'll do our best to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, please do check out our little blog. Uh, which you can find at spiffingreview.com and uh, what else we've got we've got Twitter yep for Spiffing Review yes find us on there and also if you want to send us um, any of your thoughts or about movies preferably but yeah I mean if you've got any problems let us know we might be able to help you out we can help Um, you can uh, email us at simonandwayne at spiffingreview.com Yes, and yeah, we'd love to hear some feedback on the episodes. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see in the next ones. And yeah, let's. if you disagree with our reviews, we particularly want to hear from you because that would be really fun. Mm. Okay, well, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you. We shall see you next, next time. Next time. Goodbye. <laughs>